Um, my name is Tom, and I lead our team here at Crossroads. And like Leanne said earlier, we are really glad that you decided to join us here this morning. We are kicking off um, what I've been referring to as a mini-series, a mini-teaching series called Love God, Love Others. Every once in a while, I will um, kind of push pause on what we're doing and where we're at and try to remind us of who we are and why we exist as a community. And our hope and prayer for the next four weeks is that not only will we um, get our brains around what we want to do here at Crossroads, but also it might speak to you as individuals and that you might begin to understand the purpose that God has for you and for your life. And we use terms like mission and vision to describe these things. And before your eyes glaze over and you start making your shopping list, um, this is at the very heart of Crossroads, right? What we're going to talk about um, is who we are and it's why we're here. So I would encourage you to, um, to just hang with me. Um, I grew up on, on sailboats. I grew up on Long Island Sound. And I am, just like the old Jimmy Buffett song, if you guys remember Jimmy Buffett, I am the son of a son of a sailor. So my dad, we'd be out in the water and he would try to teach me things about the water, about the wind, about navigation. One time we're out in the boat and uh, somewhere between the ages of 10 and 12 where you know absolutely everything and there's nothing to be learned, um, that was where I was at. And my dad says, okay, without looking at the compass, tell me where south is. So I stopped and I thought for a second, and where we were on a sound, I could see 95. I'm like, oh, okay, I got a frame of reference. 95 runs north-south. I'm looking at it, south is that way. And my dad said, nope. I said, you're wrong. He said, no, you're wrong. <laughs> and we went back and forth for the next five minutes, um, and he finally said, 95 says it runs north and south. In Connecticut, it runs east-west. South is that way. It's like, Oh, okay. Um, one of the many humbling experiences of my, of my growing up. Um, my frame of reference was wrong, right? I was using 95 as a, as a frame of reference, and I was off by 90 degrees. There's no way I could get to where I wanted to go. Um, there's no way I could get there safely. There's no way I could help anybody else get to where they wanted to go with the frame of reference that is skewed by, by 90 degrees. And all of my growing up, my frame of reference in life was me. I used to lose sleep at night worrying about things like, am I gonna be remembered? Like, am I gonna, I want to do something significant. Not because I wanted to help people, but because I wanted to be like, I wanted to be the guy. Um, and that was, that was how I went about my, my youth. And it, it became uh, exhausting and it was uh, a really just empty pursuit. And yet, I kept, I kept on. Um, at about the age of 18, Jesus found me. I found Jesus. And he began to work in, in my heart and in my mind. And I began to engage in things like Bible reading and prayer and hanging out with other people, trying to follow Jesus, and got involved in a, in a church and not, not all at once, but over the course of time, Jesus began to speak to me about who he really was and about who I really was and began to show me that my frame of reference was off. So I'm tracking along and I get to about the age of, of 30 and um, I hear 
a author, pastor, famous Christian speaker guy, paraphrase uh, these verses in, in Mark. This is Mark chapter 12. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them good answers, he asked him, of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one answered Jesus is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no greater commandment than these. And he paraphrased it, and he simply said, Jesus took all the commands of the Bible, and he shortened it down to those two verses, and this pastor took it and shortened it down again, and he said, just said, love God, love others. And as I read that, I'm like, oh my goodness, that's it. That's why I'm here. That's my frame of reference. It shouldn't be me. It should be God first, and then it should be other people. And... Um, I don't know if ironically is the right word, but I'm going to say ironically, in pursuing those things, I found more significance than I ever could in trying to be the guy in the, in the world's eyes. So some people, I'm, sometimes I'm a little slow on the uptake, right? It took me 12 years to get to that point. My wife is laughing. <clears throat> that was laughing because it's true. That's what that was. Um, it, over the course of 12 years, right, I figured out that God, like, created me with a purpose. He created us with a purpose. Some people, it's quicker, it happens like that. Um, but regardless, when we discover the reality of God and the reality of our own identities, we discover our purpose. And that purpose is to love God and to love others. So this morning, to, to kind of dive into this idea of discovering purpose and, and what that shows us about who we are and who God is and vice versa, we're going to look at um, a story in the book of Luke, Luke chapter 19, about a man named Zacchaeus, wealthy, corrupt businessman, and his interaction with Jesus. So we're going to go ahead and, and read this. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. So pretty straightforward kind of interaction. Jesus meets somebody on the road. But what's really telling and one of the things that I want us to um, on an ongoing basis have our brain wrapped around is that Jesus is always at work. And Luke, especially, one of the chroniclers of Jesus' life, kind of captures this. When we were going through the Christmas series, Luke was setting up the rest of his account of Jesus' life and talking about how Jesus came to turn the world upside down. We're going to go back one chapter, and I'm going to give you a really brief summary of, of Luke 18 and how that sets up Luke 19. So three different things 
there's several different accounts in, in Luke chapter 18, but the first one is a parable, right? So a parable is a fictitious story that is used to make a point. So the parable is about a Pharisee, a religious leader, and a tax collector. And they're at the synagogue. And the Pharisee is praying out loud, going on and on and on about what a great guy he is and all these religious things that, that he does, and that's why he's so great. And the tax collector is at the back of the room, and he just, he won't even, he won't even look up. He just says, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus says that the tax collector is the one who went home justified before God. And not the Pharisee, not the guy doing all the religious stuff. The guy who had an awareness of who he was before God. Parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. The next one is the story of an exchange between Jesus and a rich young man. And the young man comes up to Jesus and he says, I've done my best to follow all the commands. And Jesus says, you know what, you're right. You've done a pretty good job. And he says, but what must I do to have an eternal life? And Jesus tells him, go and sell your possessions and give them to the poor. And the guy just like hung his head and he, and he walked away because he was rich. And that meant would mean a huge change of, of life for him. And the, there's a bunch of people around Jesus. And so he walked away and Jesus looked at them and he said, it's easier for a camel to get through the eye of a needle than it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. And they looked at him like, well, what, who, who, who's it? Who can be saved? Jesus' response is, what is impossible with man is possible with God. Right? In the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector, we have the reality of the person recognizing their own reality, right? their identity. In the story of the rich young ruler, we have who Jesus is, the reality of Jesus. Nothing is impossible. At the very end of chapter 18, we have like the setup for the, the exchange between Jesus and Zacchaeus. Jesus is traveling from up north and he's coming down through the town of Jericho and headed to Jerusalem. Last two weeks of his life, he's on his way to die. And he's got, it's like a little bigger than an entourage, but not quite a parade of people traveling with him. And he's creating a ruckus. And so much so that there's a blind man sitting by the road and he hears the noise and, and he asks, what, you know, what's going on? And they said, it's Jesus and he's coming down the road. What I want to, to point out in that little exchange, yes, Jesus goes on to heal the man, but Jesus, Jesus creates a ruckus. And he creates a ruckus to get your attention. He wants you to stop what you're doing and pay attention to him and what he's doing. Okay, so that's the backstory. Then to, to kind of dig in to the, the exchange between Jesus and Zacchaeus, I'm going to point out a couple things about Jesus. I'm going to point out a couple things about Zacchaeus. So when we look at Jesus, we see, right, so Jesus was, is the ultimate example of putting people before tasks because Jesus' task was people, right? He could have walked right by Zacchaeus. From the story, right, Zacchaeus was in a tree trying to, trying to get an eye on Jesus because he couldn't see him because he was short. Jesus could have just said like, oh, little dude in the tree and kept walking, right? But he didn't. He stopped and he called him. And I've said this a couple times over the last couple weeks. 
Jesus will meet us right where we are, but he will not leave us there. Literally and metaphorically, Jesus met Zacchaeus where he was at, took him out of the tree, and went and had dinner at his house. And he wants to do the same thing in our lives. He wants to meet us where we're at, however messed up, jacked up, great, whatever that is, and he wants to move us closer to him and further into his kingdom. Jesus is ultimately relational and, and chasing after you and, and looking after you and trying to find you. Next thing, Jesus is omniscient, knows everything. Called Zacchaeus by name. Nobody introduced him. Guy in a tree. Hey, Zacchaeus, I have dinner at your house. Okay, Jesus knew his name. That would have freaked me out a little bit if I was Zacchaeus. <clears throat> and this is kind of reading into it a little bit, but Jesus probably knew enough to know that he even wanted just him, Jesus, to go to Zacchaeus' house. He wanted the parade to go to Zacchaeus' house so that Zacchaeus was well off enough to be able to feed and you know, provide hospitality for, for that large group. In order to meet you where you're at, Jesus needs to know where you're at. I don't care how lost you feel or how in touch with God you feel, Jesus knows the truth of where you are at. He knows your physical circumstances, the ailments and the strengths that you have. He knows the things that you struggle with emotionally and relationally and the people that you have a hard time with and the people that love you and support you. He knows all of that. And he wants to step into that and take the good and make it better and take the, the bad and work through it with you. Relational omniscient. Sovereign. Sovereign is a fancy word to say that Jesus is in control of everything. There was a very specific tree right when and where it needed to be for Zacchaeus to scurry up and, and hang out in so he could see Jesus. Fickamore. Sycamore fig tree. Sycamore fig tree. They can be hundreds of years old. They can grow to be 20 meters tall. Right? It was the right kind of tree and the right place that was planted, right? Genesis 2.9, God planted every tree and every bush and gave them, you know, that had good, good fruit to eat. Fig tree, sycamore fig tree planted hundreds of years before so Zacchaeus could be in it at the right time. Jesus is in control. However out of control your world might feel, Jesus has got it. The last one. I thought about calling this patience, but it wasn't really patience. And the, in some Bible translations, it refers to Jesus as long-suffering, right? And that means he suffers along with us, like in our knuckleheadedness, as he's trying to speak to us and get our attention and, and get us on board. As I, I mentioned briefly in setting up the, the account of Jesus and Zacchaeus, Jesus was on his way to die, if I had like 10 or 14 days left on earth, I'm not sure if I would go chasing down, you know, a corrupt businessman. I, I would want to be with like the people closest to me and, and hang out. But Jesus, that's not why Jesus came. Like he came for people like Zacchaeus. All the way up until the end, he was looking after, chasing after, wanting to be with those folks who were far from him and those folks who didn't know him. 
ultimately, ultimately loving, caring, looking for you, willing to stop wherever he's at. Jesus knows the details of your circumstances, the good, the bad, and the ugly, and the stuff you really wouldn't want anybody else to know about. He knows it, and he loves you anyway, right in the middle of it. Everything that's going on, the successes, the struggles, the trials, the joys, Jesus is in control of all of that. And he's willing to hang with you, to put himself in a position to be found by you, to create a ruckus to get your attention throughout the course of your life until, until he gets it. All right, so that's Jesus. That's, those are all the different things that we can pull out of his exchange with Zacchaeus. It is not the extent of his character. Jesus' character is perfect and it's limitlessness in every attribute of it. All right. Have you discovered for yourself the reality of who Jesus is? Like firsthand, the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, are historically verifiable firsthand accounts of the person of Jesus Christ, the historical person of Jesus Christ. That's one piece of it. The other piece of it is have you experienced him yourself? Yes, he was a person in history, but he still moves and breathes and lives and acts in amazing ways here and today. Have you discovered the reality of Jesus? All right, Zacchaeus. So Zacchaeus discovered some things about himself along the way. And I'm not sure at what point if this all happened at once or if he would sit home at night kind of thinking about his, his situation. But Zacchaeus was a man who had everything when it came to the world, right? He was, he was a wealthy man. He had power. He had position. He had everything. And yet, he was still looking for something. It wasn't enough. His job, chief tax collector in the city of Jericho, are we good? Is that me? Am I like, am I breathing heavy and making that noise? Um, his job as chief tax collector in the city of Jericho, without cheating anybody, without doing anything wrong, without being illegitimate, would have been enough to make him very comfortable, very wealthy. But that wasn't enough. He would extort money from people and steal money from people, and not just the, the people from whom he was collecting taxes, but the guys underneath him, the other tax collectors. Wasn't enough. <clears throat> he also had everything, but in some ways he also had nothing, right? Zacchaeus was physically conspicuous. Scholars think that the fact that Luke pointed out that he was short means he was under five feet tall. It's a short guy, right? So he, um, he would have had to fight and scrap for everything, for everything that he had. He was socially ostracized. His job he was employed by the occupying Roman government. So he was working for the enemy. Um, and as I just mentioned, it wasn't just the, the, the everyday people he was stealing from, but he was stealing from the other tax collectors. Nobody, nobody liked Zacchaeus. He had everything and he had nothing. And that was 
you know, we don't, it doesn't say that that's what was going through his mind, but the fact that he wanted to see who Jesus was and wanted to find out what he was all about, part of the ruckus that drew Zacchaeus' attention, Jesus had just healed the blind man, right? He had just had lots of interactions with religious leaders and, and he rocked the boat and like Zacchaeus wanted to know who this guy was. So Zacchaeus responds to Jesus. He responds to Jesus. Jesus says, Zacchaeus, I want to have dinner at your house. Let's go. Quickly, he welcomed him gladly. Quickly. He stopped what he was doing. He didn't say, oh, Jesus, it's tax season. Busy. I got stuff to do. Right? It's always, it was always tax season for Zacchaeus. Um, he stopped what he was doing, and he just he responded to Jesus right away. And he did it gladly. Right? Even with the kind of guy Zacchaeus must have been to be willing to steal from people and to steal from his colleagues, he responded gladly to Jesus. So even, even in the recognition of his own, I have everything, I have nothing, Zacchaeus saw something in Jesus' eyes that drew him, that made him gladly respond to him. Zacchaeus had keyed in to the reality of who Jesus was. And then he did two things because of Jesus. He stopped and he said, half of everything I have, I'm giving to the poor. A, a extortionist, a thief, an employee of the enemy stops and immediately identifies with Jesus. Right? That was, that's what Jesus was about. Jesus spent some argue, more time talking about and, and advocating for the poor than he did anything else. Zacchaeus immediately identifies with what's important to Jesus. What Jesus loves, he loved. What moved Jesus, moved Zacchaeus. And he gave half of his possessions away. He also said, if I've stolen from anybody, which everybody standing there knew that he did, said, if I've stolen from anybody, Four times. I'll pay him back four times the amount. And the law was really specific about if you steal X, then you pay back Y. If you steal Z, then you pay back A and B. He, it was way beyond, what he offered to pay back was way beyond what the law required of, of him. Those, those things, like Zacchaeus giving money to the poor and the fact that he was willing to pay everybody back, immediately followed by Jesus saying, faith has come to this man and his house today. It's not because he did those things, right? They didn't earn him a place with Jesus. We can't give enough money away. We can't do enough good things to earn a place with Jesus. Those things happened. Zacchaeus was moved to do those things because he discovered the reality of who he was and who Jesus was. And he knew that a way to express love for Jesus was to express love for other people, to express love for the people who needed it most. Um, so there's two other kind of characters, if you will, in the story. One is the, is the, the Zacchaeus' family. Right? Jesus says, this whole house, faith has come to this house today. And that doesn't, that doesn't mean, it can be kind of tricky, it doesn't mean that because Zacchaeus figured out who Jesus was and who he was, that the other members of his household were, were saved. 
it means that Zacchaeus opened the door to faith for his family. He pursued Jesus, he responded to Jesus, and he let Jesus work through him with the gifts that he had, and he opened the door to faith for his family. So, the natural question for us is, what are we doing that will affect our family? Are the things that we think and say and do, are they going to draw our family to Jesus? Are they going to open the door to faith for them? Or are they going to push them away? Are they leading them away from Jesus? That was Zacchaeus' family. The last one is the crowd. It says they murmured. Murmured. It means they complained indignantly. These people were irate at the fact that Jesus would go have dinner with somebody like Zacchaeus. And you stop for a second and you think about it. Like, it doesn't make sense. They should be thrilled because that Zacchaeus is going to stop shaking them down now. They're all going to be financially better off because Jesus came into this guy's life. So what, what was going on in their heads? And we can only speculate, right? Was it like a turf thing? Like, Jesus is like our guy. If we let people like Zacchaeus in, like, who, who knows who's going to come in here next? Right? It could be like being afraid of, of, the uncom- or of the unknown, like of the different. Zacchaeus is really different than me, looks different, acts different, spends different. Who knows what was going on in the mind of the crowd? But Jesus came into somebody's life, and they were going to benefit from it. So as, as we think about Crossroads and Crossroads' mission to love God and to love others, are we going to be like Zacchaeus' family and respond to Jesus because of what's going on? Or are we going to be like the crowd and complain indignantly? Oh, no, 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 no. That's not right. That's not the right kind of person. Right? Remember our frame of reference, our purpose. Our purpose is to love God and to love others. All right. Last, last thing. And I was just like, I was, I was blown away when, when, as I was doing this study and preparing for this, um, the sycamore fig tree. There's going to be a picture that comes up there in a second. So really, I mentioned earlier in talking about God's sovereignty, it's a really specific kind of tree. Throughout the book of Luke, um, Luke uses the example of fruit trees, specifically fig trees, as an analogy for life. A good tree will bear good fruit. If a tree is sick or not well or not doing, you know, it's not being taken care of, no fruit, bad fruit. If a tree is healthy, it bears good fruit. If a person is tracking with Jesus, their life bears fruit. They look like Jesus, they think like Jesus, they do the things that Jesus said, <clears throat> said and did. Figs are kind of this thing that runs through the, the book of Luke. Figs were also used as currency. They were used to pay taxes. So Zacchaeus would get paid in figs. All right. Now this was the part that really like made me just... The original language, the word for fig tree and the word that Zacchaeus called himself an extortioner, they both have that, they both start with suco. Sucofantes and sucomorea. 
extortioner and fig tree. When the original readers were looking at this, when they were reading this account, that would have jumped out at them immediately as like, oh, Zacchaeus called himself an extortioner, right? He's sitting in a fig tree bearing good fruit. What he was, what he could be. guy by the name of Magnus was the one who wrote this paper where I found this. Teaches, this exchange between Jesus and Zacchaeus teaches us there's a difference between who we are and who we are meant to be. And the story serves as a reminder to all of us that repentance and righteousness are related as much to the way we treat the lowly as to the way we trust in the Lord. Or as I rephrased it, when we discover the reality of God and the reality of our own identity, we discover our purpose. What we could be, what we were, what we are, to what we could be when we meet Jesus and we discover who he is and we acknowledge who we are. 